Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Divorced from sin, the believer's relationship with sin. The great divorce, I titled it. The believer's relationship with sin. And you need to understand this. What your relationship was pre-Christ, what your relationship is now after you've come into the knowledge of Christ and you've been born again. Remember, the gospel is not God forgave you of your sin. The gospel is you must be born again. See, if all we got was forgiveness of sins, if all God ever did was forgive our sins, we'd still go to hell. Because it wasn't just forgiveness that we needed. We needed the sin nature uprooted from us. We needed the power of sin, the bondage of sin broken off our life. We need to become new new wineskins, Jesus said. Unless you become a new wineskin, you're not qualified to receive the new wine of the Holy Spirit. And so the gospel is not God forgave you of your sin. Because if all just if God just forgave you of your sin, you're going you're gonna to sin again. And right then, you're back being, a, your, your, your identity hasn't changed, the core of who you are. The gospel is not just, I forgave you. It is included in the gospel, but it goes beyond that. It is not just, I forgave you. It's all things have become new. The old has passed away. Behold, you are a new creation. And God would never make an unrighteous new creature. Everything God makes is good. Everything God makes is righteous. And when God recreated you in Christ Jesus, remember Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says you are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that you should walk in them. And so God would never create a new creature that was unrighteous. You are righteous because of what Christ did. So that's essentially the gospel. It's not just the forgiveness part it is the power of sin has been broken over your life you are now a new creation you're a new species of being and as such your identity has changed and your relationship with sin has changed and that's what I want to hit on tonight whether I go half an hour or an hour and a half I don't know but I just want to get this word off my chest and I believe that tonight is going to be a night of freedom of deep freedom I mean Deep, deep deliverance from sin and addiction and the bondage of it is going to happen tonight. And if that's you, and even if it's not you, I just want you to write this in the chat. Tonight is my night. Tonight is my night. I want you to type that down in the chat as a a confession of faith. Tonight is my night. Yeah, every time you come into this broadcast, I want you to have that expectation stood up in you. You know what blesses me the most is when I'm just waiting for the intro video to wind down and the countdown to finish up, and I'm just reading some of the comments that of people that have just trickled on, uh, and, and they're just waiting for the broadcast to commence, and I read those comments, and sometimes it really blesses me because some people are saying, you know, they come in. I know that I'm going to be healed today. I know that God's got something for me today. I'm excited for the word today. I'm thrilled to hear what God's got for us today. All those comments, they really bless me because it shows 
that I've got people watching that have hunger in their heart. And I'm telling you, the hunger level of the people that I minister to, it affects the whole ministry part. When people are hungry for the word of God, it just pulls something out of you. It, as a minister, it pulls something out of you. It's easy to minister. The scriptures flow. The anointing flows. When people are not hungry, it's very hard. It's like hitting a brick wall. It's like chewing on dust. It's not pleasant. But I know every time I come on these broadcasts, I can sense the hunger of the people of God. I can sense it. Whether there's a hundred or two hundred or three hundred of you, I can sense people pulling from these from, from, from these live streams the, the everlasting, incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And, I, and I've seen the testimonies that have come in. People change radically, transformed by the power of God. And so I really believe that if you haven't received that freedom, deliverance from sin. You're still bound by addiction. You're still bound by some sort of hidden sin, whether it be pornography, whether it be uh, fornication, whether it be anger, whether it be alcohol or drug addiction or or, or just watching inappropriate things on Netflix and all that stuff that you haven't been able to shake. You know that it's God's will to not do those things and to, to move in a different direction, but you haven't been able to shake free from that tonight. The revelation that I'm going to bring forth from the Word of God, and it's not some new revelation. You know, I'm very weary of people that pop up on YouTube now and they say, I've got a fresh revelation from the Lord. It may be fresh for you, but it ain't fresh for the rest. It may be fresh for you, but it ain't fresh for the rest. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything that we get is a revelation, fresh, new revelation from the Lord. Where'd you get it from anyways? Paul wrote it. John wrote it. Peter wrote it. Mark wrote it. Isaiah wrote it. Ezekiel wrote it. One of the prophets wrote it. And so it might be fresh for you, but it ain't fresh. It's, this is the ever-living Word of God, the unchanging Word of God, the eternal seed of God's Word that though culture changes and though society changes and opinions change and philosophies change and science is constantly changing over time, you know it has never changed and remains the same. Jesus said it this way, the heavens will pass away. The earth is going to pass away, but my word shall endure forever. The word of God, the Bible says, endures forever. And so I'm not bringing something new in the sense that it hasn't been preached on before. I'm just bringing, it might be new to you. And I pray that it is the case. If you've never heard this preach today, my prayer tonight is that your ears are going to be open, your heart is going to be receptive, and your, 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 your attitude is going to be open to, um, to what the Word of God has to say. You know, I won't get into that right now. Let's just, let's just start this before I go on. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read a lot of scripture tonight, and I'm going to stop and preach, and I'm going to keep on reading, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to preach. There's a, this is a no-note broadcast. This is just something that I caught in my own personal study that I want to share right now. Let's get in it. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Just a few verses before this, Paul says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. 
And so now you see Paul's trying to kind of bring balance to that statement because people, he probably saw in the spirit that people were going to take that statement where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Maybe I'll just keep on sinning so that God has opportunity now to display his grace. And then Paul, by the spirit says, shall we continue to sin so that God can show forth more grace? Certainly not. That's not what I was trying to get at. Paul is saying, he goes on to say, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Is it okay if this broadcast, it's very much interactive and I have you write down and comment a lot of things. I'm not doing this for any other reason other than I want to get these words deeply rooted in your spirit tonight so that it's unshakable. You can't break free from it. It's ingrained in your mind and in your memory. And so I want you to type these words out for me, dead to sin. Matter of fact, let's make it personal. I'm dead to sin. I am dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. Paul says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So we're not alive to sin. Sin, sin is, it, it shouldn't be a normal part of the believer's life. I know a lot of preaching these days is, Preaches the complete opposite that how many of you know we sin every day? How many? They almost like make it, they, they, um, they normalize it so that you don't feel bad when you do it. So that you just feel normal by doing it. Well, we're fallen creatures in a fallen world. It's just a normal part of life. It shouldn't be. Paul in Romans 6, 7, and 8, and we're going to read the most amount of that, those three chapters as I can today. But in these three chapters, Paul is literally showing, he's unraveling the mystery of God to the new born-again believer about uh, exploring their newfound relationship with sin. The new status, the new identity that they carry and what it means in the severance that they have experienced from sin. He doesn't say you're alive to sin and sin's a normal part of your life and you should expect to sin every day. He says the total opposite. You are dead to sin. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? He's saying when Jesus died, when we get baptized, it's symbolic of us dying with him. You know, when you get baptized, they dunk you in the tank. The whole symbol of it, the symbolism of it all is that we being dunked into the tank, we are dying, we're being crucified with Christ and we're being baptized into his death. Old man, in the water, dead, crucified with Christ. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so now we should walk in newness of life. So he says, old man, baptized with Christ into conformity to his death, raised up with Christ, and now the new man walks in newness of life. New life. Not still bound to the old things. New life. I know that there's a lot of people, maybe even watching me now, that you've been preached the opposite. Some people think that when you come to Christ, everything changes and it's ma some magical wand just breaks all the chains off. But I'm here to tell you that that's a fictional gospel that they're preaching. Really? Because I'm pretty sure Paul here is uh, more of an expert in the things pertaining to Christianity than your little dogmatic opinion about what you think uh, what you think happens when someone is saved. 
Paul doesn't say when someone gets saved, we're still bound by sin, we're still connected, we're still alive to sin. Nothing changes here, but one day in the sweet by and by, we're finally going to put on the robe of freedom. No. He says, you were buried with him in conformity to his death. And just as Christ rose from the dead, we, by the glory, by the power of God, have risen up out of the prison cell of, de- of sin, out of the miry clay of sin, out of the pit of sin and despair, and we are now walking a new life, newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection in the Dake Bible. I love how he, he prefaces this entire commentary of Romans 6. He says, Paul saying this, having proved, so this is Dake's commentary, having proved the sinfulness of both Jew and Gentile and that both must be redeemed alike by Christ through faith and grace, Paul now takes a deep, takes up the argument of the divine method of dealing with sin and the secret of living a victorious holy life. The question comes up now that if salvation is free and apart from works, if the more heinous the sins, the more abundant the grace to pardon, then may we not go on in sin that grace, the grace of God may become more magnified, God forbid. So he's saying here that Romans 6, 7, and 8, um, in his commentary, he's saying the purpose of it is to show the believers a, the secret to a victorious holy life. And the secret is in understanding your identity and relationship with sin. And we're going to get into that. For if we've been united together in the likeness of Christ's death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of Jesus' resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, listen to this. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be done away with. That word done away with literally means, matter of fact, I have another study Bible here. I was reading it. Let me just read directly what uh, Jack Hayford in the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, this is what he writes in, when, it, when it says done away with. Done away with. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. The body of sin refers to the sinful nature within us, not the, the human body. And the Greek verb translated, done away with, does not mean to become extinct in that it's no longer there, but it is defeated and it has become deprived of power. So Romans 6.6, when Paul says, knowing this, the old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, he's saying it's not that that desire to sin is completely gone and you're never going to be tempted again and you're never going to be enticed again and you're never going to have any uh, fleshly appetite to indulge in something anti-God again. Because if, you know, obviously that's not the case because as long as you're in this human body, you're going to always have temptation. That's why when I talk about Romans 8 and I preach on the first fruit of redemption, the Bible talks about first fruits a lot. And uh, when it talks about the first fruit of our salvation... It means that when finally we put on Christ in his fullness and our bodies are changed, we're going to have a glorified body. In that moment, we're never going to be tempted again. We're never going to have the will to sin again. We're never going to have a desire to sin again. We're going to be totally, totally set free from not only the power of sin, but even the will to ever sin. We're going to have a transformed, glorified body. But the Bible talks about us having the first fruit of redemption. The first fruit is that though we are tempted 
Though we, the Bible says in James 1, matter of fact, let me read this because it talks about how people fall into sin. James 1, James says, no, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. So this is what James is saying, how temptation comes. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and he is enticed. And when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. So his own desire, that desire that Paul said, I have to bring it in subjection to the will of God's spirit, lest I too be disqualified. Even Paul said, I have not apprehended perfection. He said, I still have the desire sometimes to take my foot off the pedal. But he said, I bring that desire into subjection to the will of the Holy Ghost so that I'm not disqualified, so that I'm not accursed, so that I'm not kicked out of the race. So Paul here is saying that that body of sin, that desire, that waking up in the morning and not wanting to do uh, the will of God or that still small voice that says, minister to that person, but then that flesh that rises up and says, no, don't do it. It's a waste of time. That little internal conflict of the flesh and the spirit, Galatians 5, the flesh wages war against the spirit. The spirit wages war against the flesh. He says that old body of sin might be done away with. It doesn't mean it's going to be extinct or totally eliminated. It's simply saying that it has no more power. It's been deprived of power to ever keep you in bondage again. You don't have to obey it anymore. You don't have to fall victim to that desire that is anti-God. That carnal man that is enmity with God, that is opposed to God, it no longer has the ability to rule your life. Hallelujah. Isn't that contrary to what you hear a lot of times preached in, in church? How many of you know that old sin nature? You know, we, we're not free to do what we want to do. And sometimes the sin nature gets the better part of us. And you know, we stumble in many ways. That, that's, Paul is saying the total opposite. Total opposite of what's being preached oftentimes in North American Western church. He's saying the body of sin has been deprived of power. Yeah, the desire is still there, but it's been deprived of power. And he says that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Make that confession today in the comment section. Two confessions I want you to write. Sin has been deprived of its power. Sin has been deprived of its power. Sin has been deprived of its power. And in the second confession, I want you to type this one down in the comment section. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to sin. Because you hear some people that battle sin, and I don't doubt that they're battling sin, but you hear their confession and you find out why they battle sin. They still talk as if they're in relationship with sin. Could you imagine I, had an, I was in an abusive relationship? If I was married to an abusive woman or whatever, which by the way, Carrie's not an abusive woman. She treats me nice. But imagine I was in an abusive relationship and I went and I, I, you know, there was immorality, sexual immorality, adultery that was in the marriage and, and I went and by God, I ended up getting divorced from that person. And then when people came and asked me, hey, we're sorry to hear about your divorce. You just say, oh yeah, I, I still go home to that every day. 
I, I thought you were divorced. I thought you were separated. No, I still go home to that every day and I'm still living. I'm still living with him. He's still part of my life, still comes over, still does everything. You, but I thought you got, don't you have that legal document that says you're divorced? Oh yeah, but I'm still. The people that come up to me, oftentimes, I'm battling this, I'm battling that. I, I just don't have any power to get. You can tell right away, it's in their confession that the enemy has um, overstayed his welcome. He's been given a license to overstay his welcome. And that sin, that bondage, that rope of sin has been unable, unable to break off their life, been unable to receive total victory, total freedom from that thing because they still talk as though they're in a relationship with sin. They still talk as if sin is, its, is their master. You know, the Bible says sin shall no longer be, or you shall no longer be a slave to sin. Well, who does a slave obey? It's master. Galatians chapter 4. The second sin listed out in the Bible. The first one was Adam and Eve eating of the apple. But the second one was Cain killing his brother. And when he was contemplating murdering his brother, and he hadn't acted on it yet, God shows up and he says, Why are you angry, Cain? Has, why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So sin wants to rule over you. Sin wants to be your master. And I'm sad to say there are many Christians that are still slaves to sin. And it's not because they don't want to come free from it. It's not because they don't have a desire to live holy and keep to the highway of holiness and the path of perfection and want to repent and want to break free and be cleansed from all that unrighteousness. It's that they've been taught the total opposite in the North American Western church. They've been taught that it's just a normal part of life and that sin will continue to be your master even though you now serve the Lord Jesus. It's just regular part of life but my brother and sister I've come to announce to you today that when you come to Christ Jesus becomes your master and no man can serve two masters you're either serving master Jesus or you're serving master sin and in the new testament see that's the difference between the law and the new covenant the law showed you that you were a sinner but the law did not carry power to break people free from sin. The law showed you what was wrong with you. The law served, Galatians 4 says, the law served as our tutor, our teacher. The law served to teach us what you're doing is wrong. But there was no redemptive element to the law. It was just, that's why Paul said the law, the law kills. The letter kills. It is the spirit that makes alive. It is the blood of Jesus and the redemptive provision that God gave us in the atonement of Christ that makes us alive. The law kills. The law shows you your sin. Paul says in Romans 7, we're going to get there, Lord willing. But Paul says that I was, um, I was once alive, but when the law came, I died. When the law came, I died. That's why the Bible says we were dead in our sin. We died because it showed us God's holy standard is well, much higher than anything we could have ever achieved on our own. It's not something you can accomplish by yourself. It's, it's unachievable. And so when you read the law and you realize there's, 
The Bible even says the Jews couldn't even. Jesus said, you don't even, you can't even lift up one of these requirements with your with your with both your hands and you're laying these burdens on other people's shoulders that's too hard to bear and you yourselves can't even lift it up the law was that was the purpose of the law it was to show you an impossible standard so that so that you would see your own depravity and emptiness and the vileness of what the sin nature did for us the bible says sin takes opportunity in the law to create guilt and condemnation and to weigh people down. That's where depression, sickness, disease, all that comes from. That's why Paul is saying we're no longer a slave to sin. Sin's not our master anymore. We don't have to check in to work. It's imagine this. Imagine you work for someone and that boss was awful and he made your life a living misery on the earth. And then finally you quit. You quit. Because you were fed up with it. And so he wasn't paying you anymore. But then you just kept on showing up to work regardless. You're not getting paid for it anymore, but you keep showing up to work. On paper, he's not even your master. That's how Christians are living. On paper, theologically, sin is no longer your master. But they keep showing up. They keep showing up to work. Keep confessing. Ah, man, I sin every day. Ah, man, I can't break free from this. Ah, man, I, I just, I know, I know what I should do, but there's just some power on the inside of me that pulls me in the opposite direction. Instead of saying words that sound like you're still a slave to sin, confess what the Bible says. I'm not a slave to sin. Listen to this. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Notice the tense of the verbs doesn't say he has died one day when the pearly gates open we will be no has been freed has been freed has been freed past tense not will be freed has been freed from sin now if we died with Christ we believe that we shall live with him knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more death no longer has dominion over him for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. He died to sin for me. He died to sin for you. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, likewise, you also. Hallelujah. Who's Paul speaking of? You. You that are listening. Natasha, Blanca, Tabitha, John, Danny, Sharon, Eric, Mandy, Richard. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to you. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourself, recognize yourself, or identify yourself as such. To be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus died to sin on that cross. And then Paul says, now you too should recognize or identify yourself as such, dead to sin. What's my relationship to sin? It's dead to me and I'm dead to it but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That means sin is going to try to reign in your mortal body. That means sin's objective is to try to do what he did to Cain. Its desire is for you. It wants to master you. Paul says, Sin wants to reign in your life. Sin wants to take the seat of authority and dominion and influence in your life. But Paul also says, obviously by the Holy Ghost, 
That we, the believer, have power not only to get forgiveness of sins, but have power to not let sin reign in our mortal body. Well, you're preaching an impossible standard. It ain't. God would never put anything down in this book without empowering us to live by it. Whatever God commands, he empowers us to obey. Hallelujah. Whatever God commands, he empowers us to obey. Whatever God commands. If he said, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that means provision has been made for us to carry power, spiritual empowerment, to reign over sin rather than sin have a reign over us. And do not present your members as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves. Notice how it says present yourself. God ain't going to do it for you. You have to present yourself. It's your responsibility. Every day. Every day you have to make the decision for holiness. You have to make the choice for sanctification. You have to make the decision to live either in line of, in light of God's word and be a child of light or go the opposite direction. Every day, I've got to present myself a living sacrifice on the altar of God, which is my reasonable act of service and worship. Don't present your members as weapons of unrighteousness to sin, meaning, see, Paul's putting the ball in your court. Old Testament, they were on their own. They were victims of sin and there was no, no power to break free from it. That's why the Bible calls them blameless. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you'll see they were blameless. Job was blameless. David was blameless. Josh, Joseph was blameless. It doesn't mean they were sinless. It means they were blameless. They were blameless. Because the law was there and they did their best. They were trying to uphold the law. They did their best to do it, but they were not perfect. They were blameless. They were blameless. In this new covenant, Paul says, ball's in your court now because supernatural supply of the Spirit of God has been deposited into your spirit so that you get to choose whether you present the members of your body as an instrument to serve the purpose of sin in your life or as an instrument to serve the purpose of righteousness and God's plan in your life. For sin, verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. A lot of people have abused this verse. Probably one of the top five most abused verses in the entire Bible because I hear a lot of people, preachers preaching it this way. See, Paul said sin doesn't have dominion over us. That doesn't mean that we don't sin all the time and we're not bound to sin. It just means that because of grace, the consequence and the penalties of the sin we indulge in on a daily basis has no more dominion over us because we're not under law. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And grace is that covering for all our sin. No, oh, brother, sister, that ain't what Paul's saying. He's saying the complete opposite. He's saying sin no longer has dominion over you because provision has been made for you to be in dominion over sin for you're not under law anymore. The law showed you your sin and it showed you the impossibility to live in God's standards by yourself and by your own efforts. But now you're under grace. 
And grace is not a covering for sin. Grace is not a license to keep on sinning. Grace is a spiritual power God puts in the believer to go and sin no more. That's what grace is. Sin shall not have dominion over you because grace has been given to me to put sin under, to break free so that the body of sin, the desire of sin might be done away with, deprived of its power to influence my decisions and my direction in life. And I'm no longer a slave to sin. I've, been, I've died to sin and I've been freed from that body of sin. I've been freed, not from the temptation of sin, but the power that caused me to sin, the power that made me sin, the power that it was inescapable. I couldn't put it away. That power no longer reigns in me. Hallelujah. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Certainly not. People love to just take snippets of verses. They read the full. That's why we're going to go through Romans 6, 7, and 8, parts of 8 today. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Let's see what Dake has to say on this. Romans 6.16, millions today have not learned of these simple facts that you cannot be a servant of sin and Satan and a servant of righteousness and Christ at the same time. That if you commit sin, you are a servant of sin and Satan and not a Christian. He's talking about habitual, deliberate sin. That if you sin, Satan is still your master and not Christ and that sin is the service of Satan and righteousness is the surface of God. That's powerful. So he's saying one who habitually and with pleasure continues to sin after having come to the knowledge of Christ. He proves by his service to sin that he is a servant to Satan. The Bible says, don't you know to whom you present yourselves a slave to obey? You are that one slave whom you obey. And you're faced with the choice every day to present yourself as a slave of sin that leads to death or a slave to righteousness or obedience that leads to righteousness. Verse 17, but God be thanked. Why are we thanking God? Because though, though we were slaves of sin, yet we obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Verse 18, and you having been set free from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. Hallelujah. I was reading Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul opens it up with such powerful words. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle, bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, bond servant of Jesus Christ, a bond servant. Paul didn't see himself as just a citizen of heaven. Paul didn't just see himself as a son of God, a child of God. Paul saw himself as a slave of Christ, a bondservant of Christ, serving the will of his master. Romans 6.18, the Bible says, in Christ, our relationship is that with sin is that we've been set free from sin, but now our relationship with Christ is not just He's our elder brother and our Lord and our Savior and God is our Father. But now, as born-again believers, we have put on a new yoke. Remember, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to destroy the old yoke and then you're free to do whatever you want. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, 11, verse 28 through 30, he said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke and my burden. My yoke is easy. My, yoke, my burden is light. But there is a yoke. A yoke is something they put on cattle to shift it in the direction the farmer or the one, um, the one uh, directing the cattle wherever he wanted to go. The yoke was there to control the cow or the oxen so that when they were plowing the fields, they can drive that thing in the direction they wanted to go in. Well, the Bible says Jesus gave us a yoke. It's an easy yoke. So for all those people that say it's hard to serve God, Jesus said my yoke is easy. For all those people that say it's hard to live holy in this world, John the Apostle wrote the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. So if it's hard to live holy and if it's hard to serve the Lord and if it's hard to do God's will, it's because you're not doing it in His strength and in His spirit supply of you, in your life. You're doing it. You're trying to accomplish it by your own energy and your own effort, which you can't do it. It's a supernatural assignment. It's a supernatural commandment. And it requires supernatural power to get it done and to align yourself with it. So Paul says, I'm set free from sin. The yoke of sin is broken. The yoke of slavery to sin has been detached severed from my life the ropes of sin have been untied they've been burnt off the chain of sin has been destroyed by the sword of the spirit and now i've put on a new yoke i'm a slave to righteousness and as dake says if you are sinning and constantly deliberately sinning your service to sin proves that satan is still your master your service to god proves that jesus is your master I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and as of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Notice how he says, you present yourself. See, time and time again, he's saying you present, meaning the believer, you believer, you that are watching me right now. God is saying you have the power to present yourself a slave to righteousness and a slave for holiness. So don't believe the devil's lying deception that you can't live holy. I can't live clean. I can't stop this. I can't. I can't stop watching porn. I can't stop smoking pot. I can't stop smoking cigarettes. I can't stop doing this. I can't stop having those thoughts. Just get rid of the I can'ts. Instead, do what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. What do you think the anointing was given to you for? Do you think the anointing was given to you so you can feel a little comfort comfortable in sin? The anointing was given to you to destroy the yoke of sin that was set up in your life so you can break free from it. The anointing was given to you so you can live holy, so you can be empowered, empowered to do God's will on the earth. For when we were slaves of sin, we were free in regard to righteousness. I love that scripture. Paul is saying when you were a slave to sin... You were free in regards to righteousness, meaning your impulses were for sin. Whether you did right or not, it didn't bother or concern you. He said, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Verse 22, but now having been set free from sin, again, again. I mean, I want you to go home if you're home already. I want you to take a highlighter out and just go through Romans 6 and look at all the past tense. Have been set free have been freed from sin, no longer uh, under the dominion of sin. But now having been set free from sin, just highlight them all, highlight all those words, and you're going to see it's so evident, it's so clear. Man, when this popped up into my eyes, when the Holy Ghost began to highlight this to me, 
It truly gave me that victory over sin. It truly gave me that ability that when sin came knocking on my door, I slammed it. Oh, it's you? Slammed it. It truly gave me the ability to take great strides in the direction of righteousness and holiness. Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God. I want you to write that in the comment section. I am a slave of God. I am a slave of God. I know in this day and age, that type of lingo, it don't go well. I'm not a slave to anyone. I'm a slave to God. I am a slave to God. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not just his son. I'm a slave to God. Paul said we are slaves of God. And what does a slave do? Not what it wants to do. A slave does what it's told to do. Hallelujah. So Paul is actually saying when you were a slave to sin, you know, some, some sin was pleasant for a season, but then its ugly nature took hold of you. And then you didn't want to do it anymore. It's like the drug addict. He takes the first hit, feels good. Then the second hit, now he's hooked. And then 15 years later, he's been trying to break free from fentanyl. And he can't stop and he's lying to get money to buy more drugs. And he's, he's doing all kinds of stuff. He's, he's become a totally different person to just support his habit. And he hates himself for it. And some of them end up going to kill themselves and overdosing. Why? Because they become slaves of sin. Originally, they were friends of sin. Originally, sin treated them nicely. But then sin reveals that its desire was never to be buddy-buddy and friendly with you. It was actually to exert dominance over you. And then Paul says, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you're now ashamed of? What did all those things, when you were a slave of sin, what did it produce? What was the result of it? Where did it get you? Nothing good. But you've been set free from sin and you've become a slave of God. And now the results that you bear, the fruit that you bear is unto holiness. And the end of it, just like the wages of sin is death, the, the fruit, the wages, the reward of holiness is everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life eternal by Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this is where I, was, I got excited on yesterday. You're just joining me now. You do me a great service. If you like the broadcast, share it on Facebook. Verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Whoa, what are you doing, Paul? Are you like ADHD? We were talking about sin. We're talking about dominion over sin. We're talking about the believer's uh, identity now. It's no longer a slave of sin, but now a slave of God. What are, you, what are you getting into divorce now? What are you getting in? Some of you clicked onto this broadcast with a thumbnail divorce, and you're thinking, what is this guy talking about? When are we getting into the marriage part? If the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Why does Paul suddenly transition into the relationship of a man and a woman, and um, particularly when divorce occur occurs. I'm going to explain why. If the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries, this is oftentimes people over, overlook this, they skip this because it could be complex to understand, but I'm going to make it as simple as I can make it. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she's no longer an adulteress. 
though she's married another man. Verse 4, Romans 7, 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. To who? To him, Jesus, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit unto God. So Paul is saying that we had a marriage relationship with sin before we came to Christ. And we were under the law of that relationship. We were bound, obligated to our former husband and master called sin. We were not free to do what we wanted to do. We were bound to it. We were obligated. We were married to sin. But Paul goes on to say, when a woman's husband dies, she becomes free from that law. Hallelujah. Though she marry another man, she's not an adulteress. So if a, a man, if her husband dies, she's free from that law. Or if there's a divorce that happens, she's free, which obviously with the grounds of sexual immorality, she becomes free from that law. She's no longer bound. Jesus said, Divorce under the grounds of sexual immorality is permitted and that woman can marry or that man can marry another and she's free from the law of her former husband. She's free, free from the obligations to her former husband. She no longer needs to be faithful to her former husband because she's been set free from that law. If the husband dies, a woman can remarry. She's free from that law. So here Paul goes on to say, hey, listen now, this, I'm, I'm tying it back into what I said in Romans 6. You also, though you were married to sin, you, are, you became dead to the law through the body of Christ. That now you could be married to another, to Jesus, who was raised from the dead, that we should now bear fruit unto God. Paul is saying you were divorced. What does divorce mean? Divorce, yes, is in the context of marriage oftentimes used. But the word divorce simply means to be disassociated or disconnected from something. Something. I can be divorced from my work. I'm not, I was never married to my work, but I can be divorced from my work, meaning that I've been disassociated from it. I've been disconnected from it. I'm no longer plugged into it. I no longer am... Um, I like how Merriam-Webster actually defines divorce. Divorce in the Merriam-Webster dictionary is defined as to legally, to separate or disassociate from something. To separate, separate or disassociate from something or something else. So Paul's saying you got divorced from sin, separated, disassociated, no longer identified with and now you become married to Christ. Hallelujah. And you now bear fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held down by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What then shall we say? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. We talked about that before. Sin reveals, uh, the law reveals sin. 
For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which I was, was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and it by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good." Now we're going to get into one of the most controversial portions of Scripture in the entire Bible, and I'm going to make it very clear. And within the context of Romans 6, 7, and 8, you're going to see what Paul was truly saying in Romans 7. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. What do you mean, Paul? What You are bouncing on everywhere. Didn't you just say that I'm no longer a slave to sin? Didn't you just say that you are no longer dom dominated by sin? Sin no longer reigns in your, mortal laws, in your mortal bodies that you should obey in its lust? Didn't you just say that we've been freed from sin and that the body of sin has been done away with? Didn't you just get over the whole deprivation of power that sin lost over your life? Didn't you just get over that? Why are you jumping back into I'm now sold under sin? Because what Paul's about to show you here is the relationship he had with the law before he came to Christ. The internal conflict that he had within himself. Remember when Paul was approached by Jesus in Acts chapter 9 and the light shone and he got knocked off his donkey and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Let me read the commentary on that from one of my study Bibles. Acts chapter 9. Listen to what he meant, what, Paul, what, what, Jesus, said, what, what Jesus meant when he said, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Actually, I don't have it in the study Bible. It was in, uh, I think it was in my, uh, my Deke Bible. Acts chapter 9. Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? Thanks for joining me tonight. I, hope, I pray this is blessing you. This, this, this broadcast has the power to break every stronghold of sin set up in your life. It has the power to totally um, take you out of perpetual defeat and constant struggle and constant battling addiction and all that and bring you into a place where you are more than a conqueror through Christ. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Acts chapter 9 verse 5. It's not in this one either. I don't know where I found it. But anyways, the essence of what Jesus was saying is, I've been trying to reach you. I've been trying to pull you in my direction. But you're fighting. You're fighting me, Paul. You're fighting me. So Paul, actually in Romans 7, is talking about that internal conflict. He says, we know the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. So he's talking, that's very important to understand and highlight, sold under sin. Because what Paul's about to go through right here is he's giving a description of his life sold under sin when he was in bondage to sin. And he goes on to say, for what I am doing, I don't understand. For what I want to do, I don't practice, but what I hate, I do. If then I do what I want not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I that is doing it, but it's sin dwelling in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. 
for the desire is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't know how. He's saying, I want to serve God. I want to obey the law. He's saying the law, the law, the, the impossible standards of the law, the desire to do everything that was written in it, all the ceremonial cleansings, all the, the moral law and the, the, the temple law and all the other law. I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to fulfill it to the T. I was zealous for my God. He said, there was in me the will present, but how to perform all of it, I, I, I didn't know how to do it. For the good that I wanted to do, I didn't do, and the evil that I didn't want to do, that's what I ended up practicing. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who does it, but sin that, dwelling, that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, my spirit man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. So he's saying, this is when I was a slave to sin. This is how I felt. This was my relationship with sin. This was my, my constant battle, this inescapable warfare that was going on on the inside of me. Verse 24, verse, Romans 7, 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That word body of death is uh, alluding to an old ancient torture method that they would do in Roman culture. They would literally take a dead guy and wrap it to you. They would bind you to him uh, so that the death and decay on him would eventually infest you and you would die from some sort of infection. The death of that man would literally overtake you because of the proximity of skin on skin and the bacteria and the the the... The, the, what do you call those, maggots, would end up eating you eventually and just killing you. So he's saying sin was like that dead body that was tied to me. Who's going to free me from this wretched body of death? Who's going to free me from this relationship? Who's going who's gonna to empower me to separate myself from this wretched stench of sin in my life that I've been unable to break free from this impossible victory to accomplish and that's where Romans ends and we close our Bibles and we don't know how Paul's life no he continues that's where a lot of preaching stops they stop there it's like going to a movie and having them build up the movie until he gets to the climax of it and then instead of you Right at that moment when, the, when, the, when the, the, the shock scene is about to appear on screen, the power goes out. And then you just go home and whatever your perspective of that movie was up until that moment, that's how you think about that movie. You don't even bother to go and finish the movie. You're just going to call, even though it might have been the best movie you've ever seen in your entire life, you're just going to rate that movie based on what you saw instead of moving on to the climactic event that would have made the movie worth watching and maybe watching again and again. That's how some people read the Bible. They get to the climax. Paul is literally at the climax of his statement. He's summing up Romans 5 and Romans 6 and Romans 7. And he moves in. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I'm here with this body of sin, this decaying, smelling, awful, wretched thing that keeps me bound, that keeps me down, that keeps me 
in this slavish relationship. Who's going to free me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God, hallelujah, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who no longer walk according to the flesh. Hallelujah. But according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, meaning the Holy Ghost in Christ, has made me free from this law of sin and death, this wretched body that clung to me, that was inescapable. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But we, those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal man is enmity, an enemy of God, and it can't subject itself to the laws of God. So then those who are in the flesh can never please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. You don't belong to him then. And if Christ is in you, though, the body may be dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, in summary, in conclusion, brethren, we are now debtors. We're in debt, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you, he's talking to believers here, you will die. But if by the Spirit, see that's where, we're, that's where Paul's focusing in on. He's saying the law was there to show you your depravity. Jesus' blood, he came to fulfill the law. The righteous requirements of the law, Jesus fulfilled. And he condemned sin in the flesh. And then he gave you the Holy Ghost so that... We can live lives well-pleasing to God so that we will not be at enmity against God or carnal, but rather we would be spiritually minded and dwell and think on and act on the things of the Spirit of God. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The Holy Ghost gives you a spiritual mind that leads you to a life of peace. Romans 8 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So how are we going to break free from alcohol? How are we going to break free from anger outbreaks? How are we going to break free from sin? By the Spirit you put to death. Divorce, separate, break free from the victory sin used to have on you. And you will live. Verse 14, for as many... I was led by the Spirit of God, our sons of God. And this is what I'm going to finish up on. For you, hallelujah, 
You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You didn't receive a spirit of bondage. I just feel bound. I just feel bound. You did not receive. The Holy Ghost is not a Holy Ghost of bondage. He's a Holy Ghost of power, love, and a sound mind. I want you to type that in the comment section right now as a statement of faith. I did not receive the spirit of bondage, but of power. I did not receive a spirit of bondage, but of power. I did not receive the spirit of bondage, but of power. Power for what? Power to live right. Power to keep to the highway of holiness. Brother, you're, you're preaching an impossible thing. Paul said, I've not perfected. Yet yeah, Paul said, I've not apprehended perfection. But what did he say? One thing I do, I'm pressing towards the goal. Perfection is not a, uh, it's not a final destination. Perfection is a path that you keep to. And the Holy Ghost gives you power to live and keep to that path, to dwell on that highway. It's not a destination. You're not going to ever say, I've come to a point of perfection right now. I'm never going to be tempted again. No, you're going to have temptation. And you might even make a mistake. You might even sin again. But just because you made a mistake or you sin does not make you a sinner. By the Spirit, you put the death, that deed, you get back up on your feet. There's now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You get back on track and then you keep on walking the straight path that God set before you. 1 John 1, 9. If any man sins, let him confess that sin and God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation of our sins and not only of our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah. I believe right now God is going to break off the chains of sexual immorality, fornication, lust. I mean, even the internal things. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. I said it before. He wouldn't command you to do something without empowering you to do so. And he wasn't saying, get a spoon and gouge your eye out. He was saying, if what you're looking at is causing you to sin, lustful thoughts or, or whatever, unclean thoughts, cut that thing out of your life. Don't entertain it. The Holy Ghost gives you the power to turn your eyes in a different focal direction, to focus on something else. If your hand causes you to sin, the Bible says, cut it off and cast it far from you. He wasn't saying to literally mutilate your body and, and, and amputate your arm. He was saying, cut off the things that you're doing with your hand that are leading you towards sin, which the wages of it is death. Cut it out. The Holy Ghost empowers you to change what you do, to refocus your actions in a different direction. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it out. If where you're going is, uh, you're going to places that have cultivated an atmosphere where sin is entertained, where sin is lightly esteemed. You know, the Bible says fools mock at sin. They mock at it. They, 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 
They have a joyous attitude towards it. It's a foolish thing to not deal harshly with sin. Jesus said, if you're going to places where there's that light attitude towards sin and it's encouraging and facilitating sin in your life, cut it out. And the Holy Ghost is the one that enables you to do that. The Bible says it's the fruit of the Spirit that is faithfulness. Fruit of the Spirit, not fruit of your flesh. Fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says if by the Spirit we are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. And it's a, it's a lifetime process. There's always going to be something the Holy Ghost is going to point out and say, cut that out. But I believe there's people watching me right now that it's something major. There are major things. People might not even know about it. Something you do behind closed doors. Tonight, by this word that I brought forth, the revelation of God's word, chains are being broken. Demonic strongholds. Long-lasting addictions are being disconnected from your life. You are divorcing sin. The great divorce. You are divorcing sin tonight. You're being separated, disassociating, no longer being identified with those things. Not only in theory, but in practice. Will you live holy? In Jesus' mighty name, I really believe that's happening right now. By this word, the entrance of his word is bringing light and it's shining out the darkness and the stronghold darkness has brought the grip the grip of darkness over your life. Some of you, you feel like Paul in Romans 7. The thing I want to do, I can't do. I want to do it. I want to do it. With my mind, I'm serving God. But with my flesh, I serve sin. Paul said, but thanks be unto God who has set me free from the laws of sin and death. Hallelujah. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the Holy Ghost, is setting you free right now from any slavery, rope of addiction. Anything that represents bondage, anything that represents a stronghold of the enemy in your life, that thing is being broken once and for all in Jesus' name. I speak the power of the Holy Spirit right on you right now. In the name of Jesus. You are freed from that sin today. You're freed from the taste of nicotine today in Jesus' name. You're free from the taste and the desire for marijuana. You're free from hard drugs in Jesus' name. You're free from lustful thoughts right now in the name of Jesus Christ. You're free from adulterous thoughts in Jesus' name. You are free from outbursts of wrath and anger. Free from anything listed as a deed of the flesh or a fruit of the flesh, in the name of Jesus, anything that would pull you from God, that thing breaks off your life right now. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The Lord said, the Bible says, let me read this, Jesus' words. Came to my spirit right now. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word and you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. 
They answered, we are Abraham's descendants, have never been bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Isn't that great? You're not a son of sin. The Bible doesn't say you're a child of sin. It says you're a slave of sin. If you were a child, you would be forever bound to it, but forever bound to it. It's like a, a boy. My son, he's forever bound to me by his DNA. He's got my genes in him. The Bible doesn't say you're a son of sin. You're a, the Bible says that we were created in God's image, not in sin's image. We have the, la the likeness and nature of God in us. Jesus said, the son abides forever, but the slave does not abide in the house forever. And verse 36 says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus came to let every slave of sin know the prison cell is open. The deed, the payment has been made. My blood was shed to cancel out the debt that you owed. And not only the debt, the consequence, the penalty, and the power and bondage of sin that was exerted over your life, the authority that it carried over your life. Jesus said, I came. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I tell you, the last time you battled that thing will be the last time you ever battle that thing. God is uprooting the very desire and drive. Just like Paul said, no longer present the members of your body as instruments of sin. Meaning, you used to be driven to sin with your body. But now God's spirit is on the inside of you and there's a new drive. He drives you to prayer. He drives you to reading the word. He drives you to church. He drives you to soul winning. Just like you had an inescapable rush and urge to do the things of the flesh and to engage in lustful activity, now by the Holy Ghost you have an inescapable drive and urge to win people to Jesus, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, to, to live a holy life. Hallelujah. That'll be your life from this day onward in the name of Jesus. If you're watching me right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, the Bible says there's a real heaven to gain and a real hell to shun. The Bible says, we just read it, the wages of sin is death and it's inescapable outside of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the gate, the gateway out of that and into heaven. He said, he that comes in by me will find rest for his soul. The Bible says, I am the shepherd. And my sheep hear my voice. I believe God's speaking to many of people, people watching me right now and on the replay. And God's calling you home right now. You've engaged in, 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 in things that you know you shouldn't have done. And that's fine. That's the old man. Today's a new day. Today's a brand new beginning for you. You may have backslidden, but you don't have to die in a backslidden state. You may have been born in sin, but you don't have to die in sin. Jesus gave us a way out. There is a million ways into hell and there's only one way out and that is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I just read it here. He said, the son, whom the son sets free is free indeed. You can't get freedom from those things outside of the person of Jesus. You can't get free from hate, jealousy, envy, even the hidden things of the heart. You know, we talked about adultery and all those things, murder and anger, but what about the hidden things of the heart? envy and jealousy and, and hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness, all of those things, those, those feelings that really are like a root that defiles your entire life. It just, it, it brings trouble. It makes you, it, it brings misery. It's like a poison that you ingest and it affects you. Even physiologically, that very poison can't be emptied out of your system except by the blood of Jesus. 
We all carried a stain from sin. Sin stained the human race and the human bloodstream. And only the Jesus, the blood of Jesus is a detergent strong enough to wash away the pollutants of sin and the stain of sin. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? If you haven't, tonight's your night. You're going to do that with me now. If you have, but you want to give your life to Christ again, rededicate yourself, get back on track. You're saying, today, I'm getting rid of sin, and I'm not letting sin get rid of me. I'm living victory over sin, and I'm not letting sin live in victory over me. If that's you, I want you to pray this with me right now. You fall into those two categories. You're either doing this for the very first time, or you're rededicating your life to Jesus. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I confess Jesus is Lord. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I repent of sin and I turn to you. I believe in you. Forgive me. Wash me. Heal me. Cleanse me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. In Jesus' name, I am saved, I am forgiven, I am born again, and I'm never looking back. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to go to my website, salvationnow.ca. Click the first link that pops up. It's, I just got saved. Click it. Click it and uh, fill out that form. I want to get something to you free of charge as a way of saying welcome to the family of God. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.